Thank God today, and this is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank the Lord today for an opportunity to share truth surrounding the Word of God. And thanks for joining the Truth Matters podcast today. We're just very excited that you've given us the privilege to be host in attendance of this very vital ministry of contending for the faith that has once and for all been delivered into the saints according to Jude 3. And we'd like to say, if you'd like to visit our website, you can visit our website at truthmattersmost.org. And on that website, uh, we have so many uh, areas where you can learn about evangelism, you can learn about outreach, and you can learn even about the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many of our podcasts are available for you to listen to at your convenience. And if you have questions or if you have prayer requests, feel free to email us at truthmatters at truthmattersmost.org. And before we start our teaching for today, we want to pause and pray. Now, Father, we thank you that your word is immutable. Your name is matchless. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Holy and hallowed is thy name, Lord God, today. We thank you today, Lord God, that you are our Father. You said that we can call you Daddy, Abba, Father. And Lord, we thank you today that it has not appeared what we shall be, but we know that when when you shall appear, we shall be like you, for we will see you as you are. And Lord, what manner of love have you bestowed upon us that we can be called the children of God? We thank you, Lord God, for our inheritance. We thank you, Lord God, that you've established us, Lord God, into your royal priesthood family. You called us a holy nation. You said that we are peculiar people and that we should show forth the praises of him who have called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. Lord, you have delivered us from the kingdom of the devil and you've translated us into the kingdom of your dear son. And in this we rejoice and we're glad. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for reconciliation. We thank you that we've been converted. We thank you, Lord God, for your imputation. We thank you today, Lord God, that you've regenerated us. We thank you that you've adopted us. We thank you, Lord, for your glorification, your sanctification today. And we just, Lord, we just stand firm, Lord God, upon all of your precious promises. And there has not failed one of all the promises that you've promised unto your people Israel. And today in this Truth Matters podcast, we pray that every person who's listening, that you would speak to their hearts, that the word would fall upon good ground and that they would be established, Lord God, in your word. That someone who does not know you in the pardon of sin will understand the power of the Holy Spirit and what you've done and what you've purchased on Calvary. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so true are the words that were spoken by Adam Schiff when giving final remarks in the infamous Donald Trump impeachment hearing. He said, right matters, truth matters. And without truth, he says, we're lost. And we're so thankful for all of our friends and our partners who have shared with us all across the United States and across so many countries that are listening in Singapore. We thank God for our friends in Ghana those in the Netherlands, the Philippines. Thank you, Pastor Kamel, for always uh, giving me words of encouragement. It means so much to me. I thank you for the word that you send me from the Philippines. All of our friends in New Zealand, so many in Ireland and Australia and these United States. And we're just so thankful that you've taken time to join. And we're going to be teaching on a topic called Receiving the Holy Spirit. And today, as we examine the truth about the Holy Spirit, It's so important that you know 
how does a person receive the Holy Spirit? And we think it's important first to understand not just what the Holy Spirit is, but who the Holy Spirit is. There are many who view the Holy Spirit as just a power or they call it a thing or a force. Those who profess to be Jehovah's Witnesses, they declare from their theology that the Holy Spirit is only a power or an impersonal force. We at Truth Matters must declare that there is very, very acute synchronization in the Godhead. The Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 says the Spirit was moving over the waters in the beginning, right? Some, in an effort to dismantle the biblical teaching of the Trinity, they had to demote the Holy Spirit from its Godhead. Many allowed Jesus to maintain his personhood, but they degraded the person of the Holy Spirit to not a person, but they relegate him to just being a force. The New World Translation calls the Holy Spirit either little H-O-L spirit without the definite article or just an active force. But scripture has established the fact that God is revealed in plurality. That's why he's called Elohim that God revealed himself as three persons. We see clearly that the third person in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. What does it say in John 16 and 32? It says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will lead and guide you to all truth. It says he will not speak his own in his own authority, but what he hears, he will speak. We see first the Holy Spirit is called a person, a he. He wasn't called an it. Secondly, we see that this person speaks words. He hears. He tells. And he also has a very, very firm affirmation of him being a person because he has a mind. This is contrary to the concept that the Holy Spirit is just an active force. Many Pentecostals contend that the Spirit fills believers. And since he fills believers, he could not really be a person. See, the error in this contention is if we use the same reasoning, we would have to also negate the personhood of the Father and the personhood of Jesus Christ. Because Ephesians 3.19 says that he instills the fact that the Father fills us all as well. Ephesians 1 and 23 mentions that Christ fills all and all. God the Father fills believers. Jesus Christ fills believers as well. So if we're going to be consistent in the theory, we should call both the Father and the Son its or just forces, since they also fill believers. When you look at Acts 13 and 2, it describes the Holy Spirit calling and sending Barnabas and Paul to perform his spiritual work. See, the question arises that the Holy Spirit must be less than God because he doesn't speak in his own authority. But just look at that for a minute. This doesn't really diminish his deity at all. Why? For Jesus says, I do nothing in my own authority or will. I do the will of him that sent me. But we have listed a plethora of scriptures over the months and years of verses that confirm that Jesus is true deity in God. It is also a fact that only God called the apostles to spiritual work. So what does this mean? Well, the Holy Spirit must also be deity or God. When you look at Revelation 2 and 7 and 2 and 29, it tells us to listen to what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. We see in Revelation 2, God is speaking to the churches, but repeatedly the scripture reminds us, God 
was speaking to the churches. And the God who was speaking to the churches was who? The Holy Spirit. Now, just as in Hebrews 1 and 8, when the Father calls Jesus God, many people were never taught that the Bible directly calls the Holy Spirit God. Where is that at, Pastor Adams? Well, it's found in Acts 5 and 3, it states. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, Peter says in verse 4, you have not lied to men, but to God. Who did Ananias lie to? The Holy Spirit. Who did Peter explain Ananias lied to? God. Peter could have said, you lied to Jehovah's Actors Force. Or he could have said, you know, you lied to the Holy Spirit, which is nothing but an it. But instead, he says, you lied to God. When you look at John 4 and 24, it reminds us, it says, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. Now, we have a question in this Truth Matters podcast. Is God holy? And prayerfully, you said yes. And is God a spirit? And the answer is yes. So wouldn't it be permissible to call God holy spirit? Romans 8 and 5, 5 commands us to speak the things that gratify the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 11 calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. That is God who raised Jesus. So in verse 9, he is called the spirit of Christ. We see again that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are harmoniously the one God. Romans 8 and 16 calls the Holy Spirit him. So this absolutely destroys the active theory, uh, the active force theory that many advocate. Romans 8, 26 and 27 teaches us that the Holy Spirit has attributes of personality. What do you mean by that, Pastor Adams? Well, it says that he bears, he prays, he intercedes, he pleads, He yearns, he commands, and he is grieved, and he testifies. And as I mentioned before, the Spirit has a mind. No sincere person can read those passages and conclude that the Holy Spirit is just a force and perhaps portray him as anything less than God. Now, let's look at something that's very important. In 1 John 5 and 6 and 7, it reads, And this is the Holy Spirit who bears witness, because the Holy Spirit is the truth. Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But when you turn the Bible back to Jeremiah 4 and 2, it proclaims that God the Father lives or is truth. See, once again, the Trinity is seen clearly. For all are called the truth. The Spirit has been granted the awesome mission of leading and directing and empowering that dynamic organism called the Church of Jesus Christ until he returns to reign eternally on the second uh, in, in this new recreated earth here. The Holy Spirit is a person called God in Scripture. Now, you may find the force in that Star Wars movie, but you will not find the force in Holy Scripture. Our next question is, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? I remember me being introduced to Jesus Christ from a one oneness Pentecostal perspective was taught that you accept Christ and you're sort of in an initiation position like a person who is trying to pledge to become a member of a fraternity. You go through rituals or sort of a rite of passage into a Masonic lodge. There are steps and processes that you have to go through before you're really genuinely fully a member. 
You are not really saved until you tarry or wait for the Holy Spirit to indwell or fill your temple. The concept is arrived from when Jesus was telling the believers to wait until the Holy Spirit is manifest on the day of Pentecost. But there's some important things that we must consider. I was also taught that the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit is that you have to speak in tongues as evidence. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. I would say, please take note that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not locational, but it is rather relational. What did you say, Pastor Adams? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not a locational experience, but it's a relational experience. See, Compelling Truth Ministries explains it this way. The Holy Spirit is that part of a trinity that lives inside not some, but all believers. When and how he enters our hearts is debated for a couple of reasons. First, there is confusion over the terms indwell with the Holy Spirit, fill with the Holy Spirit, and baptized by the Holy Spirit. The second reason is the tendency of some to see that receiving the Holy Spirit in the early church is recorded in the books of Acts as the model for us today. But it's not the same model for us today because they were waiting for the advent. We are on the other side of the advent. See, scripture clearly indicates that believers are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit moves into their hearts when? At the moment of conversion for in one the spirit for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body both jews or greeks slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit according to first corinthians 12 and 13 all believers have the same spirit the holy spirit ephesians 1 and 13 is more specific about the exact moment that we receive the holy spirit listen to what it says in him also in him also, you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then believed in him, you were immediately sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Praise God. I thank God for that. Romans 8 and 9, it explains simply that anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what? this is my question. If we are immediately sealed with the Holy Spirit when we when we heard the word, believed the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ. Then we have the spirit. So the Bible says anyone who is in anyone who is in Christ has a spirit. And if you don't have the spirit, you're not in Christ. So the only conclusion is, is that when you're in Christ, you have the spirit because you can't say I'm in Christ unless you have the spirit. Many Bible teachers suggest that one is not born again unless they have been baptized in water or they don't really have the Holy Spirit until they speak in tongues. And they cite Acts 2.38 as a proof text to that end. But let's look at Acts 2.38 and let's exegete that text to see what it really teaches. Now listen, the most critical factor in understanding this text is the understanding of the term or the word for the remission of sins. That word for is the Greek word gar, which must be seen from the perspective of its definition, which is this, with the view towards, or seeing then, or therefore, or in connection with, or in light of. 
And if you don't understand that that's what the word for means, you will be just as many people who are oneness Pentecostals will teach that you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you spoke in tongues and that the Holy Spirit is a second and it's a it's a successive experience after salvation. So with that in mind, this is what Peter was saying with the view that in connection with the fact that in light of the reality that your sins have been remitted, go get baptized in Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. Not exegeting this text properly has been the catalyst of so many Pentecostals teaching that salvation is one event and the gift of the Holy Spirit is a second endowment that affirms that you are born again. The understanding of the term for the Greek word gar demonstrates consistency with Peter's next two teachings and sermons to sinners, which included forgiveness of sins that was accomplished by repentance and faith in Christ without mentioning baptism. Read Acts 3.17 through uh, 26 and Acts 4 verse 8 through 12. Paul is consistent in his teaching. See Acts 16 and 31. Paul says that you must believe and you're saved. When God shook the prison and when Paul came out of that prison and the guard was going to kill himself, Paul said, do thyself no harm. And he said, well, what must I do to be saved? He didn't say, go get baptized. He didn't say, you got to speak in tongues first. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now let's talk about another aspect that's so important. It is called, what is the earnest of the Holy Spirit? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. The Gospel of Christ Ministries expounds, what does it have to do with God's plan of redemption? The earnest is mentioned in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and 2 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23. It is the Greek word araban, defined as a pledge, a word which seems to have passed from the Phoenicians to the Greeks, and thence from there to the Latins, which means earnest, mostly associated with money which in purchases to give as a pledge that the full amount will subsequently be paid. Now when you look at the Greek scholar Thayer, he mentioned another Greek lexicon defines the word Erebon as originally earnest money deposited by the purchaser that is forfeited if the purchase is not completed was probably the same word that the Phoenicians used and they introduced it into the Greek. But in the general usage, it denotes a pledge of any sort. Now, it gives assurance to the believer. And when they used the word Erebon was a word that was used in the Old Testament Greek translation in Genesis 38. When did this take place? What was that talking about, Pastor Adam? Well, it was when Tamar's husband died. She was promised another husband another one of Judah's sons when he became of marrying age, but the promise was never fulfilled. Therefore, Tamar took matters into her own hands and she tricked Judah into conceiving a child with her. How did she do it? She disguised herself as a harlot. Before the sinful act, Tamar, as the harlot, asked Judah, what will you give me? And Judah responded, well, I'm gonna send you a young goat from the flock. But Judah did not have the young goat at that time. So Tamar asked what he would give her as an earnest or a surety of a guarantee that you're going to actually give me that goat from the flock. Or what's going to be the down payment until you can actually send me the young goat that you promised. I want you all to read Genesis 38 verse 17 through 19. 
Well, Judah said, I'm going to give you a signet or a cord and a staff as an earnest or a down payment or a guarantee that I'm going to actually fulfill and follow through on giving you the goat. Now, when you read 2 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23, it states, now he that established us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the earnest, the down payment of the spirit in our hearts. Now, notice that the earnest of the Holy Spirit is found in our heart. And it was also found in the heart of Paul and other true messengers of God. It is in the hearts of three messengers. Who were they? Paul, Silvanus, and Silas and Timothy. From the earlier verses, it is trustworthy and reliable. You can fully depend upon God to deliver what he said he would give. And he will do what he said he will do. And he never backs out of his promises. In other words, when I send you the Holy Ghost and I'm telling you that the Holy Ghost is going to fall upon you in the day of Pentecost, that's going to be my down payment that you can depend upon me to deliver everything that I promise. I'm going to take you just like. Moses took you through the wilderness to the promised land. Jesus Christ through his blood and the Holy Spirit coming down as a down payment is the assurance, it's the surety, it's the guarantee that everything I said about heaven, everything I said about the streets that were paved with gold, a place where you'll never cry, a place where I'll wipe all your tears, well, you can trust me because this is a down payment that you can believe me for the rest. I remember when I bought my home, I was asked to give earnest money that proved I could be depended upon to deliver the rest of the money that was needed to complete the transaction of buying that house. God sent us the Holy Spirit while we're living on the earth that guarantees that that we were his and that he is ours and that when he died we can confidently expect our eternal security and our abode to be with him in heaven second corinthians 5 and 1 states for we know that if this earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved we have a building from god a house not made with hands it's eternal in the heavens for verily in this we groan longing to be clothed upon with our habitation which is from heaven if so be that we are being clothed we shall not be found naked for indeed we that are in this tabernacle we groan being burdened not for that which we would be unclothed but that we would be clothed upon that what is mortal may be swallowed up in victory or up in life now he that wrought us for this very thing is God who gave unto us the earnest of his spirit we don't have to wait for it no more. When you believe, you have the Spirit. Paul is speaking of the new imperishable, resurrected body that a person will receive the day that the Lord returns. How do faithful Christians know God will give them this new body on that day? His guarantee is his word that he cannot lie according to Titus 1 and 2 that was revealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 and 13 and 14 states, in whom ye also having heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation in whom having also believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is an earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession unto the praise of his glory hallelujah it is possible that the word which here can go back to the word in verse 13 therefore it could be read like this in whom ye also have heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation which is an earnest 
of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession unto the praise of his glory. It is also possible that the Holy Spirit himself is the earnest of the inheritance. If the scriptures so plainly state that all believers have the Holy Spirit, why do we have a controversy? Well, there is a distinct difference between the Holy Spirit indwelling us and the Spirit filling us. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a tool used by God since the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 34 and 9, Joshua is filled with the Holy Spirit to take on Moses' responsibilities. In 1 Samuel 19, 18 and 24, King Saul and his servants are filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy. And in Luke 1 and 15, the angel explains to Zacharias that his son, John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Spirit after Jesus' death. And the resurrection, the Holy Spirit continue to fill people, including Peter, according to Acts 4 and 8. Paul in Acts 13 and 19 and the other disciples they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now they had a there is a difference from the simple indwelling of the Holy Spirit experienced by all believers. Some also confuse the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now we believe it is the same as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, although others think it is more similar to the filling of the Spirit. The book of Acts is a fascinating look into the change from the age of Judaism of the church. Jesus as a Jew, the disciples were Jews, but listen to this. The church is distinctly Christian. We must understand that on the day of Pentecost, that was the time that we were waiting for, where we were transitioning from the what was called the era of the law, the era of the Jews, to the era of the church. And everyone that received the Holy Spirit, they became members of the body of Christ. The disciples didn't become Christians until when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into them in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, 2 and 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8 and 14 and 17, however, God waited to give the Samaritans the Holy Spirit until Peter and John could see. Why? We aren't really told why, although perhaps it was so these devout Jews could witness the coming of the Spirit upon a group of people so despised by them in Acts 10 and 45 seems to corroborate this in the circumcised believers. Jews were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was also poured out upon the Gentiles. Today and always we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The moment we accept him as our Lord and Savior. In John 3, 5, Jesus says, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he could not enter the kingdom of God. When we accept Christ, God immediately seals us with his Holy Spirit. We're sealed. There is something about a sealing. There is no intrusion. There's no introduction of harm or deterioration. We're sealed. It's like when you take something and you seal it, it keeps it free from loss or degradation. When we're born again, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. When we accept Christ, God immediately seals us with his spirit. Now today, we believe it's so important that everyone understand this is the truth about the Holy Spirit, who he is, and how we receive him.
we want you to pray for us in jesus name amen